Hey guys, this is Alex, and welcome to the Two Dudes Brews Interviews Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking about 2011's sports action drama, Warrior, which stars Joel Edgerton, Tom Hardy, and Nick Nolte. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing to the podcast, leave us a rating or a review, and maybe even tell your friends about us. With that being said, we hope you enjoy the show. I've been really busy the last couple of weeks, but uh, it's been uh, some fun experiences to say the least. We're finally putting the hiatus on hold. Um, that was the longest period that we've gone without recording a podcast, like since we started this thing. I know it's weird to even like think about it that way. What was it like? Four weeks? Yeah, that's crazy. Even three weeks, it's like, oh my god, dude. Which like, mm-hmm. hey man, it's a testament though. Like it's just like really busy right now for for me with like Blake's wedding and stuff because like there's a lot of and like we're trying to buy houses and you know we're just busy. But you know, yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm hyped to. Uh, we're talking about um, one of my like kind of B list favorites, I guess you, you would say. It's not like in my top ten, but you know, it's like kind of a movie that I hold in a place like it's beloved by me and. Uh, similar to the last couple of things I've recommended with like Tron Legacy and Last Samurai Warrior in 2011, it's um, something that like I never forget about for some reason. I don't know. I don't know why, but this is one that has like good word of mouth, but like wasn't a big success right off the bat. Yeah, from what I know. Yeah, it um, which is like kind of unfortunate because I think as time has gone on, I think um, I think that this movie kind of holds up. Uh, to be honest with you, you know, boxer and like. MMA movies, I guess. I mean, there really isn't many MMA movies. I mean, if you think about boxing movies, immediately everybody thinks Rocky. And now, like, for some reason, like, Creed is kind of, like, popping off in, like, the mainstream. Mm-hmm. But, like, this movie is, like, gritty and indie and unique in a in a way that, like, these other commercialized films are, are not. So It's like the cult classic of the bunch. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I thought a lot about, like, The Wrestler when I watched this film. I did, too. And, like, I'm, we'll draw comparisons there, but I don't want to get too far ahead of us. We're also drinking uh, Urban Artifact Pinwheel tonight, which is a uh, orange fruit tart. This is, like, the first beer that I had by this company, and um, I think I got you to drink it, and I think we uh, hopped into, like, the gadget and stuff right after that, which is, like, one of my all-time favorites. I am fully on the Urban Artifact train. Yeah, it is. It's one of my favorite local beer companies. It's... Um, and it's kind of nice because Isaiah and his friends really like it too. So we always can bust one open and everybody always appreciates it. Even the guy at the liquor store was telling us, you should get the gadget if you've never had that. I'm like, buddy, I've been on the gadget for a long <laughs> time. Don't fucking get me started. But um, this is, this is shit. Yeah, it's only four and a half percent. It's a six pack. Instead of like drinking a nine percent gadget, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll pace ourselves with these. So I'm cool with that. Um, I mean, I, I literally just rambled for 12 minutes, so... Cut me off, goddammit. <laughs> That's not my specialty. Hey, come on, get out, shoot the shit. You know, I feel like this movie kind of lies in a, in a special place where, again, it, ha- it definitely has like some cliches and some tropes, but there's something with our, our story here that's like, oh God, how'd I put this? Really, it's um, it's a story about family. This is the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> it's about, about family. It's about family. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a story about family through MMA and we got, we got like alcoholism, a family on the, on the brink of foreclosure, a war hero mm-hmm. that's been scarred, uh-huh. uh, that's trying to like make money to save, 
his fallen comrade's family. So, I mean, there's like just a lot of like really interesting, unique moving parts through ultimately what is a MMA tournament. (laughs) I think when it comes to like MMA and fighting movies, they get kind of a bad rep because I'd say a majority of them are kind of uh, slightly generic or like this testosterone filled, like sponsored by monster energy, like type Mm -hmm. thing. That's not what this one is at all. I mean, there's like litterings of it in there slightly because a the story bit. the story lends itself. You ha- you kind of have to set up like okay, we're we're actually doing a tournament here, and like you know they litter in promotional material and like obviously like training montages and you know gym stuff. When you're outside of that, like it's a really like intensely dark thematic uh, family drama. This is a mature, slow paced yes film. Mm-hmm. Usually you would expect needle drops from bands like Saliva or Trapped or something <laughs> in a movie like this. Yeah. Face to bite. This movie begins and ends with The National. The National. Yeah. One of my favorite all-time bands. Yeah. I would. Um, that's something that I wanted to talk about because this was like one of my first introductions to this band when I watched this film. So that's why you love the song about today. Yeah. Right? Yes. You know, me and my me and my brother and my dad watched this film together for when I when I first watched it, and we like really loved it. And like it was like I think it was a little too mature for me at the time because I couldn't really fully comprehend the weight of the situations involved. But I knew there was something there. I was like, God, that, like that was really powerful. I could tell like there was something really powerful about it. To me, at least from beginning to end, I felt like there was a really nice completion that I could like understand as a child. I mean, I was like not like so young. I mean, it came out in 2011, so I would have probably been like 12 or 13 when we first watched it. I couldn't see the pace of this entertaining a a 12 or 13 year old for some reason. We were really into like movies as a kid. You guys liked good shit. We like, well, my dad had really good taste. I always felt, you know, at least for the time, I really felt like said it many times, but he was the DVD Netflix guy. Like he got them mailed in. And so we would like get advertisements for other films. Like I've seen, um, Cyrus with like John C. (laughs) Riley from the Netflix on, you know what I mean? Like just really random shit, like Cyrus with Jonah Hill and and John C. Riley. I've seen it. You know, stuff like that. Like where it's like some really absurd stuff that like Mm -hmm. you would never expect like a 15 year old to watch. Especially not back then. Yeah. And so we just got like exposed to a lot of inter- interesting stuff and you know we would we'd watch a movie and then be like oh we really like the advertisement for that like can you put that in your queue and back then the queue <laughs> the queue was like you would get mailed the the DVD once it like raised up to the to your uh the availability on mm-hmm. your queue it was really interesting and so there was something dumb that I latched onto and I will say this movie did a lot for me now than it ever has because I haven't seen it in a couple of years. And as I'm like transitioning into like full adulthood with, you know, a career and like finances and deep, meaningful relationships with people like you, um, you really it had a lot more gravity to the mm-hmm. situation. And I really, um, empathize with all parties involved. And so it was, um, really unique. You know, I had never heard of this movie until you brought it up to uh-huh. me, I think. Even back in 2011, I don't remember seeing ads mm-hmm. for this. I didn't know anybody like else that saw it. Mm-hmm. Did you just see an ad for it somehow, and that's why you put it on the queue? I think so. It was either that, or I think it was like when Netflix had just transitioned into streaming, and they did streaming and the DVD. I think it was when that, and I think it was a film that was on the streaming service. I, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I think that's how I remember it. I don't know why. I don't know why we liked it, but I mean, we grew up on UFC as well. So like, I think that was probably an angle that we took from it, you know, probably got into it that way. 
I mean, it was like the same with like Moneyball. I was like, oh, it's a baseball movie. But like as a kid, I'm like, I didn't really fully comprehend the weight of like, it's, it's literally just a dialogue film. Yeah. You know, my blind spot actually is MMA. I don't know like shit about combat sports, like real combat sports. Yeah. I've watched MMA for a very, very long time. Like ever since have. I was a kid. So I got a lot out of it from that. And I actually like have some like critiques from it because it is like choreographed fighting. It's so unrealistic. Even I could tell at times that it's frustrating. It seemed like it took more inspiration from like pro wrestling at times, yeah. like in the, the choreography than yeah. MMA. There was like um very little like, and like granted you cannot for a film pace your fights like a real fight. You have to like, there's not enough time for it with the amount of fights that we would have to watch. But some of the things that were frustrating for me is that the choreography was so unrealistic in ways where if you're somebody that like enjoys fighting and understands even the smallest amount of like you have to like set up you know set up jabs and pick your opponents apart like very rarely is it like you're throwing haymakers in round one you know so these guys slugged the fuck out of each other exactly. every fight <laughs> exactly so like that was like kind of frustrating for me as a fan of like ufc and mma and like kickboxing and all that and even like grappling but you know that's like my it's not even like what it's about at the end of the day it's really not what it's about at all and i can like kind of push past that like because honestly the fighting is my least favorite part it is the weakest <laughs> aspect in this fighting film yeah. yes but i mean how do you how do you push past the cliches though i mean that's something that i think is the biggest strength because when i like think about i've seen like creed and like i think the first rocky is great and uh, like I think Rocky Four is I think it's like Rocky One and then Rocky Four and then you know Rocky Two and Rocky Three and then the, the other shitty ones. But it's all just like yeah, testosterone. Fucking uh, we gotta get the guy. We gotta beat him. We gotta you gotta win. You gotta you gotta want it. You know uh, you gotta go to the depths of hell and come back. It's not that you're gonna gasp. But I've never seen Rocky or oh. or Creed. You should watch the first Rocky. It I think it's it's much more like this film than what you think i'm sure it's great the first one is very gritty it's smart for the time i think it really was but yeah the whole like let's have somebody hit a sandbag with like a baseball bat for our sound effects the cracking of a fucking whip you know is our punch sound effect for some reason like Fuck you know yeah. cliches they happen but there's more here we have joel edgerton Tom Hardy and Nick Nolte is our like kind of our, our holy trinity here. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think Joel Edgerton and Nick Nolte are the strongest performances. I think personally, Tom Hardy, for me, this is actually one of his weakest roles. Okay, that's interesting. What's really interesting is like this is when Tom Hardy took steroids for the first time and he did Bane a couple years later. So he probably filmed Dark Knight Rises this same year. He did. Because... He did. That came out the year after this, right? I think he, yep, he was uh, juiced up for, um, he was juiced up for this film and then Bane. He's fucking jacked. Yeah, it's because his his androgen receptors in his uh, traps are huge. His traps blow the fuck up. He looks like a cow. I do agree with the sentiment that Nick Nolte and Joel jo Egerton. Joel Egerton. I, don't, I always want to say Taron Egerton. Really? The guy that played Elton John. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah. I don't know why. I do agree with that, though. The thing with Tom Hardy and me, he's never done much for me as an actor, honestly. Yeah, and what's what's really interesting is um, I think Inception came out shortly before this. 2010, yeah. right? 
I think Tom Hardy was kind of having his moment where he was playing really good side characters. And then like this was his transition into into a, a lead role or a supporting supporting actor. I mean, I think I think he's okay in The Dark Knight Rises. As I mean, he's he's, he's wearing a mask all day, but is it even his voice in that movie? Yeah, it is. It is mm-hmm. okay. But Tom Hardy, there were there were a couple times where I was trying to get inside of his character's head and like his mannerisms because his character is so emotionally immature compared to Nick Nolte and Joel Edgerton's character. So I think part of the reason why he can come across a little lackluster in performance is because I think his character kind of like demands a little bit of, you know, that insecure, boastful physicality to show dominance rather than like he, you know, he's a very um, physical uh, problem solver. He barely speaks in this movie. Mm -hmm. And so I think it can kind of, because his character kind of lends being stupid yeah. and, and brooding, you know, so there's kind of that. He's naturally the least interesting one Correct. out of the three, for sure. And there's like not much that you can interpret or get from the like performance he's giving and like the character, like the way it's written. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like if you look at Nick Nolte's character, <clears throat> it feels like there's a history there. Yeah. You like, can't really look deeper into Tommy in this movie. Yeah, I think, and I think part of that is because we have Joel Edgerton and Nick Nolte. There are there are characters that have like moved on from their past, whether it's good or bad for them. Like I think specifically Joel Edgerton, he is our bridge between the two characters. Like Nick Nolte, kind of interesting, you know, recovering alcoholic a thousand days, you know, very reserved. Oh my God, it's an amazing performance. But <laughs> and he's then, excellent. In this. Yeah. And then nominated for an Oscar, by the way. Didn't get it. But the character of, was it Brendan? Yeah, Brendan, played by Joel Edgerton. He has the ability to open up doors for history. And yeah, there's like more to read into. And then ultimately, I think by the time we get to the end where you can kind of see why there is no room to interpret the character farther than what he is, is because this is his come to Jesus moment, you know, his... uh, him being raised up from his his um, trauma, you know, so where I think the other characters have like at least developed a little bit more of a healthy way to deal with their trauma. And he's the one that's been left in the dirt, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so his character just kind of like emanates that all around. And so it kind of comes off weird, I think. I find it interesting that you think this is Hardy's weakest role, though. I think even with him not being my favorite, I think this is the best that I've seen him. Mm. What's, what's, you might be right. What's like his his like great role? He's really good in that. Um, he's good in like Peaky Blinders, I believe. Oh, is he in that show? Mm-hmm. And he is in. God, he plays. Um, he plays a set of twins in a film that he's really good in. I can't remember what it's called though. Lordy, I've seen it, but I can't remember what it's called. He's, I know what it is. He's pretty I, good in that movie. I can't think of the title either. But I think obviously that film. I don't even think it's popular or even was when it came out, but I think it um, it lended itself for him to be really interesting in, in, in two different ways. Maybe my opinion towards him is just because I've only seen him in the Nolan stuff, Mad Max, and like Venom, and I hate Venom. Yeah. He's good in Mad Max, but he's a blank slate. Yeah. I don't remember him even speaking in that movie. I mean, he barely does. I saw that in theaters. It was awesome. I bet. I don't know. He, he kind of is in the same lane as like, the Hemsworth brothers, you know, mm-hmm. he's kind of just like handsome, hunkish dude with like not a lot of depth to him in, in many ways where you can like stack up a character that like or you can stack up an actor like even like Bale, for example, 
you know, he's had a really unique repertoire of roles. Like he can play, he can play all around the board. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just feel like Tom Hardy's never really had something that, at least not mainstream enough, popular wise, like to be like, oh, this is a, a beautifully dramatic role for him. And it gets like mainstream and praise. Like, I think there's a film that where he's like a, he's in a car the whole time that I've been meaning to see and I can't remember what it is, but it's, there's supposed to be some really powerful performances, a powerful performance by him in that. I don't know. I, I, I would like to see him do more. I never know what the fuck this dude's saying. Yeah. You know, Nicole? Dude, he's so hard to understand. Mm-hmm. I think I saw something. Thick Brooklyn accent. They did a study to determine the hardest to understand actor, and he was like the number one spot. Really? Yeah. Subtitles were, were required really? for me on this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, he like really leans heavy into like the, the thick Brooklyn accent, and it kind of like, also he's like, yeah, he's thuggish, you know? Mm-hmm. So you kind of get that. It's like kind of similar to like Good Time, if you ask me. Where you can like it's unaudible, like just like uh, <laughs> fucking dirty, yeah. thuggish, yeah, dialogue. I yeah. can see that. I have a really hard, t- hard time understanding Patterson in that film, and he speaks like a perfect American accent. I, I hate to keep trash talking the guy. Good performance in this movie. I think I'm just saying that he's not my favorite overall. No, and and it's like I, I like I said, I think it just kind of ties back into the fact that the role kind of really demands him to be like really l- shut off. From yeah. all of our characters. You know, and I do think like him in the casino with Nolte was really, really good. And, you know, the the scene after that where they're in oh the, the hotel room, like that's I don't want to bust that open too 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 quickly, but we'll get to it. You know, there's something there. It's just like ninety percent of the time it's 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 tough. I mean, how did you feel about I mean, we talked about like feeling a history with a character like Nolte, his character, like I feel like from as soon as you open in get to listen to a little national and get to see him driving home from church. Like the film takes no time to get started, but I feel like you get a real level of depth with his character right out of the gates. The implied history is definitely there. He just plays this like forlorn, like sadness. I find it interesting that like it's implying that he was a a horrible abusive drunk Uh as a kid. Or to when, his children, when yeah. his sons were kids, yeah. I'm actually surprised that it didn't lean into like the history, like get any flashbacks or anything. I was expecting a flashback mm-hmm. for sure. It's all implied. I think that's really, you know, if I think they did that, I think that might ruin the film for me a little bit. Would it be a little too uh, like oh, emotionally uh, manipulative? Yeah, because I think, um, because I, I think by the end of the film, where it kind of feels victorious in some way. There is like a sense of peace and closure involved. Um, I think that's like really, honestly, I think that's like like one of the more powerful thematic elements of the film where it's like, it's not perfect and it's like really ugly, but they're doing it, you know? Mm. And um, I, I just think like if you would have put the, I don't know, just the ugliness of that inside, like what ultimately is like a heartfelt film, it would yeah. like really, it would like, I think it would like make the film a little too dark. And I think it would kind of be like like misery porn at that point. I think you're right. Yeah. It would have clashed with the tone mm-hmm. too much. But maybe even if it was just like given a bit more dialogue like between the characters, like mm. I don't know, the the details are very vague. And it's like that with all of the grudges mm-hmm. between the three characters. And I I like it, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like I, I kinda want a tiny bit more. Yeah, and I think part of that is is that you really have to like the film is like, yeah, but don't forget we got to fight. 
you know? Yeah. So there, you have to, there's like a really small, subtle balance that they're doing, which I think like overall it's really well done. But, um, yeah, I mean, like if I could have like 15 more minutes of like, just like somber dialogue, I'd be like perfectly okay with I'd, that. I'd be down for it. <laughs> I really like this movie and I can look past a lot of the things wrong with it because the emotional core that's mm-hmm. built is so strong. Mm-hmm. But I think the screenplay is kind of wonky in this one a bit. Yeah, the um the pacing in the first half is excellent. It's so tight. I felt like I was watching one of like my new favorite dramas. Yeah, I know. And, and in a way I was. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with that sentiment. Don't you feel like when the tournament is like actually getting ready to start, the the film kind of feels like it's stepping back? Like Yeah. It's not even like a it's not even like a what do you call it? Like the third act slump. What is that? It's usually in the second act. Second act slump. Yeah. It doesesn't even feel like that. It kind of feels like, I think where the film really falls apart for me personally is when you have like a really cheesy cliche training montage. (laughs) I think that's the dividing line. That is right where it like kind of feels, okay, let's cut this in half. Let's put the fucking dull cliche action a boxing film bullshit right in here we're getting the picture in picture uh-huh. literally like oh, it's five different boxes it's not good that, that's my this is something that i wanted to bring up i love a lot of things in this film but i think one of the biggest things for me is a the screenplay kind of like takes a toll at a certain spot and you kind of have to like really build back momentum with fighting like kind of like have to build up tension again and b I think the editing at, at points is fucking god awful. Like during the fighting scenes specifically? Sometimes during the fighting scenes, sometimes I feel like you can have like some really great dialogue and then the way we transition to other films or excuse me, the way we transition to other scenes feels like kind of forced and you kinda of like have to catch your footing really quickly. Like let me give you a very specific example and I think it'll open another door. The editing with like the principal and the kids that want to support all like we were thinking that you know we could you know watch whatever the fuck his name uh brendan brendan whatever (laughs) whatever mr whatever his last name is mr uh connell right i think so yeah we were thinking we could watch mr c's fight in the auditorium and he was like no and then they have to like walk out of the principal's office and then it's like just this really, really strange choice to be like, let's watch these four kids that are playing high schoolers that are like very clearly like 25, 26, 27, <laughs> like walk down the hallway and like, like it's fucking out of breakfast club. It was like really fucking strange. And then like, let's fade to black. And then that like, was weird. Yeah, wasn't like, it wasn't in that like, in that the fucking strangest choice of editing right I there. I totally forgot about exactly. that. And like little things like that where... I cannot look past that. I'm like, why? It, it was almost like an, an art house shot, yeah, like in yeah. the middle of this gritty drama. Yeah, it just it, it felt really bizarre and forced, and like it, it like it was so tonally off from like the rest of the film. We're like in the editing room, fucking cut that shit out, man. You don't you don't need it. It barely it it could clearly move into another scene if you like quick edit that out and like. I don't know. It just really bothers me because I know there's ways to like tighten the screenplay up. And then like, again, editing with like, let's do a training montage. We could do that. But like, it felt like it like, let's cut the drama right here. And then like, boom, let's do the editing where we, oh, let's do the training montage. Let's do the fucking Rocky four. <laughs> like he's in, like, it just felt weird. It was a, 
strangely dramatic shot considering like which characters were in the scene mm-hmm. like if you wanted to do that then do it after a super heartfelt scene between the mm. dad and brendan or something yeah and like specifically you know brendan he gets put in the tournament because frank is training like a top contender for the tournament and then it's like oh in the training montage we're going to imply that he gets hurt it's like why not like show them doing the run? It'd yeah. have been just it would just it would have felt so much cleaner and smoother. It undercuts the drama of yeah. that situation because we as audience members want Brendan to be in the tournament yeah. and like that's a that's a roadblock that like I want to see that scene yeah, exactly where like you get this like the hope like the hope scene uh-huh. like oh like now he's got it uh-huh. they didn't really play up the fact that he like was had been training probably for a month or two yeah, yeah just like they had to move the story along quick and like that bothers me because if you have the drama and it's very clearly working and you've had like the training with like you get to see like tommy's character beat up mad dog grimes in the gym and it works really well and it's like it I mean again granted choreography and like you kind of have to like Hollywood up a, a fight, but tonally it's really strong for the film. You could do that with Brendan's character to show him, you know, uh, having success in that hope that you're talking about because mm-hmm. that's for his character. That's kind of like what his theme is. Is like it's a hopeful. I'm doing this for my family. We're gonna lose the house, and like he's a man really struggling, and like he's taking this very positive masculine path that like this film has set up. And then like you kind of like snub it with really cheesy drama like that I just or excuse me really cheesy editing like that where let's have him run past the other guy and the other guy blow out his ACL like let's have a whole scene of that it would have worked just as fine yeah anytime the movie like takes time and sits in on a scene mm-hmm. it's beautiful mm-hmm. the first two acts I think are like borderline perfect yeah it's not that the third act takes like a total nosedive or anything like i think there's like really great moments sprinkled here like the the casino scene and like the the relapse by the father the exit of the two brothers at the end and we'll we'll expand on all that later i think it comes down to the fact that the script has like way too many ideas to like really deliver on Mm. all of them I figured we'd have this conversation because I, I think we would draw comparisons to The Wrestler. But, yeah. But in my opinion, I think the film does a lot better of a job juggling the all the different. I mean, like we have, again, I laid it out earlier, but we have, we have one of our brothers that his house is going to be foreclosed on, which I think all like the foreclosure stuff, like the, the meeting with the bank. Or post 2008. Yeah. Which, of course, like probably hit home for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. His um, his dialogue with his wife. And then you have, you know, Nolte talking about like he doesn't drink anymore with like Tommy and like they're like literally like Tommy rips on him all the time, which is like obviously like <laughs> you can understand where he's coming from as well. And then on top of that, you've just got like some really intense stakes like mm-hmm. for like we got to like get in this tournament, which I think it's like handled pretty well for the fact that like it's kind of like setting up a huge idea of like let's get in a tournament. And I think like for the most part, they do a pretty good job of like seamlessly getting us there as far as like setting the story in motion to, oh, ar- yeah. to arrive there. I think you kind of have to suspend your disbelief in a certain certain aspect because a Brendan in real life would never get the opportunity to do this if this no. was a real thing. It would never happen. And the same with Tom, the same with Tom Hardy's character. I don't think that would happen either. It it may happen now because of like the way I think about it 
in today's climate, it would be a little bit more believable because MMA is like a little bit more blockbustery now. There's a little bit more like personality involved. And like when you have somebody that is really like gets internet famous, like Kimbo Slice, for example, was that guy at one point. Mm -hmm. So it's not too far fetched, but I think the stakes are a little too high for like these two characters to like make their way in. But I think they do a really good job of like getting us there without it being like, oh, fuck you, man. Like you couldn't do that. <laughs> it's a once in a lifetime story happening twice at mm-hmm. the same time. Exactly. And then these two. That's a great way to put it, by the way. These two flukes are meeting at the end and then the underdog of the two flukes is still winning. Mm-hmm. So it's like times three. Even. Yep. And I say all this with like, I really, really like this movie. Exactly. Like I'm, I'm still. You're still on board. You said you think this balances it better than The Wrestler. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that, but I think this movie is still stronger despite that. Well, I think The Wrestler... The Wrestler is if Tom Hardy's character is the main character and the only main character. You have, like... It's, like, a very dull, like... Emotionally unintelligent character would be their main character. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like that movie's a lot more gritty than this this film. Like that movie's a lot more cold hearted than than this one. So and that one like hits its cliches in a more boring way. Yeah, than this one does. I think the the performances in this are much stronger as well. I agree. Um, so there's that. I mean, you're totally right. I mean, it's it's a lot to like try to digest in a small amount of time. Again. That's the perfect way to put it. It's two once-in-a-lifetime stories happening at the same time. But, uh, yeah, it still works for some reason. I don't know why. It's unexplainable to me. And, hey, you know what's funny? This film has a very, very similar score to Inception. Really? Yeah, so this film has a 84% Rotten Tomatoes critic score and a 92% audience score. Inception has an 87% critic score and a 91 audience score, which I find to be very odd because hmm. I think Inception is much better than this film. <laughs> At <laughs> I, least lo- I love Inception. You know, I think, I think that I've like forgotten about it and I want to, I want to talk about it soon, by the way, but Nolan's coming up soon. We're going to go see it opening weekend IMAX. I'm psyched. I'm, I'm fucking ready. You know, so for some reason it works despite its cliches and like that's kind of my biggest thing of like doing these movies back to back to back it's we have legacy tron legacy the last samurai and warrior they're like my the films that for some reason i still love despite their flaws i don't know how or why but they just appeal to my emotions so well and even me the cynic of us two (laughs) like kind of sees it with all three of these movies as well Mm -hmm. yeah which is bizarre I know. Never in a million lifetimes did I think I would give a fuck about Tron Legacy. (laughs) Here we are. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of liked it. Kind of liked it. When this movie is on, it's really on. Mm. It's resting on the strength of like a perfect hour and 25 minutes. Mm. And then there's like good stuff after that too. More or less like sprinkled in. But yeah, dude, a lot of ideas going on here. You know, this is a film that has made me actively weep for the first time in a very long time. Now, granted, I did watch this film with a many a drink. <laughs> was this the night that you drank a bottle of wine to yourself? A bottle of wine by myself. It was a, it was Thursday, and um, I had had a, a meeting. The Thursday was the day that I announced the meeting with my team that I'm going to be in charge. And, you know, I've been really, really stressed out, and, you know, I have to do a lot of work, like, outside of work for, like, this role now. And, you know, like, making processes and, like, ty- you know, typing up you know, expectations and like 
all of these things where it, it's, it's just been really stressful, you know, and I, and I just came back from Knoxville last weekend and I just been like really, really stressed out. A lot of like unknown factors are like really like stepping into my life and I, I needed to watch the film. I had like planned to watch it on Thursday night and Elizabeth was like, I told her, I'm like, yeah, I was like, you know, I might like have a drink. You know, I haven't had like a drink at home in a long time. And I'm like, I've been meaning to crack open this bottle of wine. I had had it since Christmas. It was like a, just a Sauvignon Blanc, like a, uh, it was actually like one of the, the Bengals wines that had come out, you know, that they release or whatever. And it was just like a Sauvignon Blanc. It was, it was really, really good. And then all of a sudden I just found myself like, I'm like, I had a glass and I'm like, I'm gonna have another glass. And then I had another, I had that second glass and I was like, I got room for one more glass. But when I was pouring the third glass, I was like, Whoa, I'm getting kind of <laughs> fucked up. I gotta be careful here. I gotta work tomorrow. And I was like, fuck it. I'm, I'm off the, I'm off the hinges already. I might as well just go for it. So you needed that moment to yourself to decompress. Yeah. Were you hung over the next day, by the way? Oh, yeah. I mean, not like headache or anything, but like it took me a minute to catch my feet. Oh, you get up so early. I do. I, Jesus. Dude, I... <laughs> I can barely survive at 4 o'clock p.m. when mm-hmm. I go in, like on a bad hangover day. In the morning? Jesus. Hey, man. Get me a, get me a couple cups of coffee. Sit at my desk, drink a couple cups of coffee. Talk to my first few customers of the day. I'm, I'm ready to roll. No big deal. I was feeling it by the end of the day, though. Yeah. Which was Friday. And then we, and then I had a fucking busy-ass fucking day Friday from fucking uh, 6.30 in the morning all the way to 2 o'clock at night. Work, dinner, and a movie. Yeah, it was rough. But, hey, man, you, you got to live. All that shit built up. You wine drunk. Yeah. Getting super emotional at this movie. Yeah, man. It, um, Dude, fucking it gets me. It gets me. If, if we pulled up the film... Like the scene on my on YouTube right now, it still get me. I was near tears. It fucking wrecks me, <laughs> dude. It wrecks me. And we're talking about Brendan and the dad, right? Is or that, Tommy and the dad. Which Tommy? Oh, is this the casino one? Yes, that one too. Yes. What's the What's the one that gets you with Brendan? When the dad sees his grandchildren. Oh man, that the gets door. me too. Yeah, he sells that moment so amazingly. Oh, dude, he's it's an amazing performance by him. It's fucking perfect. He does sell it. Like his um, emotional mannerisms are so, oh man, they're really powerful. Really, really powerful. And like, um, like him holding back tears, like damn near every line. And like <laughs> these so happen to be like the, the like the really um, emotionally impactful scenes. It's um, it's tough, man. I, I mean, it's 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 a really powerful performance. This is one of those things that sells me on the film. I feel so bad for his character. This kind of goes back to the thing where I said I wish there was some kind of uh, like more detail into how terrible he used to be because in a lot of scenes the sons seem like assholes and I'm exactly. like poor old Nick Nolte. Yeah, and I think it's really I think it's like something that I wanted to talk about where I think this is what trauma does to like families and like very specifically like in this film where your children have felt how do they say it in the Bible or whatever it's uh the sins of the father yeah on unto the son you know so it's like it's very um you know they feel it they they they've they've felt it and it uh destroys them and like they have to like build their lives around it actually mm-hmm. you know and like you know you have uh, Brendan his character he finds his solace his excuse me his solace in um, his wife and kids and but he's also like a man that has closed the door to his past with his father. He tells him phone or mail, you know, phone or post office. That's how you can get a hold of me. You're, you know, you're not supposed to show up here. And then you have Tommy, where 
he he abandoned you know his father with with his with his sick dying mother and just showed up on his doorstep you know and, he, and we get to find out later like he's on the run you know that's what he uses the last name Reardon which is his mother's maiden name to because he's a deserter from Iraq and you know they they've closed themselves off and like Nick Nolte is the only character that's healed himself but now he's trying to like heal his family and um, he's trying to like reach that out and I don't know I, th- I find that like really um really powerful because. It very, I feel like very rarely does the abuser try to be the one that heals. Like, I can't think of a you know another I mean? example. You know like, what I mean? Like in shown in like movies or TV. You know, I'm 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 even trying to like say like in in real life. Like I that I, that's you know what I mean. I, yeah. I I just feel like a lot of the times no one will admit the fault. Yeah, the abuser rarely admits and, and tries to fix and and uh, but I think like that's what makes this film really powerful is because he, I didn't even think about it that way. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I guess in The Wrestler, you do have that, but, like, he's the, like, that movie sucks because, <laughs> because, he, you know. It doesn't suck, Well, but it's, it's not great. It sucks for the character. That's what I'm trying to get at. Like, <laughs> The Wrestler sucks. <laughs> no, like, you know, um, Mickey Rourke's character, like, gets his, gets the door shut on him by his love interest and his daughter. Even though the love interest tries to come back, he's like, fuck you, bitch. I'm mm-hmm. wrestling, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, I don't know. I think the film... Really takes a unique stance with that. I still have so much to talk about. It does. (laughs) I literally never thought about how unique the the abuser seeking Mm -hmm. forgiveness is. I just got done watching four seasons of Succession, and that's all about family trauma. Mm -hmm. And I should have seen, like, the difference because in that show, everybody's afraid of dad. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic for sure. I think um, when Tommy... I think what's what's really beautiful about uh, his character arc when he blows up finally. I mean, you know, he takes his digs throughout the film, but when he finally blows up on him in the casino, and Nick Nolte's like, "I'm really, I'm really trying here. I'm really trying." And you know, his character, even though that's what he needs, he still refuses it, and like it ends up like uh, destroying Nolte's uh, Nolte's character to the point of relapse. And he always keeps telling him, like, I liked you better when you were a drunk. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck. That's tough, man. I mean, and you got to think it from Nolte's perspective, his character of, of Patty. You know, you want your, he wants his children to love him as he is now. And, you know, so it, it pushes him back into this, oh, it's tough, man. It's tough. Like, how do you like me now? Mm-hmm. I'm getting drunk now. And I think, what's, I think what's really beautiful about that scene specifically, the hotel and the hotel room, we've had, like, these really fun audio overlays of like him listening to Moby Dick on, on, on a audio book, like a recorded tape. And, um, he's listening to Moby Dick while drunk and he's screaming like, you gotta stop the ship. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it's amazing delivery. Oh my God. Red face on the, on the precipice of a heart attack. He was giving me serious Willem Dafoe, the lighthouse vibes. (laughs) in the scene yeah fuck yeah we can't write this ship literally sounds like dialogue from the lighthouse but yeah dude that that scene tore me up I mean, that, that scene makes me cry every time fucking hardy like holding him at the end yeah well i think Lord. It, i think what's really powerful about it as well is when you when you kind of like frame it in the perspective of like if tommy being like his favorite being the one that like you know he wrestled for his dad and and he was the one that probably had to deal with him when he was drunk a lot 
you know, I imagine they've they've laid in similar circumstance where he's had to like console his father while he was drunk and like oh, put sure. him to bed. And I love Tommy standing in the door frame, which I think this is actually one of the the better parts of Tom Hardy's performance is when he actually when he opens the door and he sees Patty's character drunk, his father drunk, he actually uh, his body language like he shows like cowardice and fear in the door frame like he kind of like whimpers away a little bit like kind of can't look at him and like he's when patty's walking up to him yelling him yelling in his face and stuff he's like almost like afraid he's gonna get hit or something or you know what i mean like it kind of like feels like there's a little bit of like that childhood trauma is like kind of pressing itself into this scene i feel like you can kind of read into it that way just the way they're based like in the way they're performing through this scene it's it's um really unique and special i think it's like obviously my favorite favorite scene <laughs> in the film it's 10 out of 10 stuff yeah honestly we're uh don't think we mentioned yet but these are the same screenwriters that did tron legacy uh oh yeah the, the director <laughs> is actually one of the screenwriters i think this gavin o'connor guy yeah it i wanted to talk about the cast a little bit yeah because like gavin o'connor plays like the guy that directs the tournament He's the director. He's like, you know, growing up, we always wanted to know who the 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 strongest kid, the baddest motherfucker in the neighborhood. Uh-huh. Now, I want to find out who the baddest motherfucker in the world is. I didn't that, know that was him. That's the fucking director. Fuck. <laughs> it's so strange. And then you have, um, interestingly enough, you have Brian Callen, the comedian, plays Brian Callen. He goes by his name, Brian Callen, in the film. He's one of the announcers does he not do this in real life no i've seen him before but i don't think it was in comedy he is um for a long time up until a couple years ago when uh this is strange but joe rogan when he moved out to texas brian callen brian callen's still like one of joe's good friends but brian callen uh was like a like a very regular on the joe rogan experience and brian callen is not a ufc announcer and then like he's a weird dude and then, like, for him to be like, I'm going to play a UFC announcer when my best <laughs> friend, Joe Rogan, is a UFC announcer. And I'm going to go by Brian Callen in this film. It was just, like, it's really weird. And by the way, Joe Rogan hates this movie. Oh, yeah. And for the reason being that you could never do this in real life. A tournament, you you would. Like you would, In the same day. In the same day, two nights in a row or whatever the fuck. Like, isn't it two nights in a row? They yeah, do like yeah, one you're, night. You're right. Move, yeah. You're right. It's not like, one day. He was like, I remember Joe's like, he said one time on a podcast, he was like, you would like, you would never, you can never do that. It would never happen ever. Mm-hmm. Like, like people have concussions and have to get, go to the hospital after they get in a fight. Like it's mandatory. It takes these guys like weeks to months to, to recover. Yeah. Right. And you are battered and bruised. It's like getting hit with baseball bats. And it's like, yeah, let's do it two nights in a row. <laughs> Four or five times. Uh-huh. And so it's just like, yeah, you have to suspend your disbelief in that way. Then you have Frank Grillo playing Frank Campana, which is Joel Edgerton, Brennan's uh, trainer. Yeah. Frank plays Frank. He, this is actually his best role. He fucking sucks in everything else. I hate this guy. I can't remember what else he's in. He's an action hero star now. He, um, God, I don't like him. Like what franchise? Uh, he plays like. He's in a Captain America Winter Soldier. He plays a very small role in that. He plays like one of the Hydra soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's just like, he's kind of like a blank slate again. Like he's kind of like a Jason Statham type of dude. 
he looks like a, a very early 2000s actor like yeah. the spiky hair mm-hmm. like he has like one of the worst haircuts i've seen in this film it's like a really shabby mohawk mullet it was something that's it, for sure it's <laughs> beautiful um i don't know it's just kind of strange i think jennifer morrison uh brennan's wife i, I loved her i think she does a great job she was great yeah uh, rock and body by the way just saying she was a familiar face to me for some reason. She's in a lot. She's like, like how I met your mother. I think is what I may have seen her in. She's in, um, she was in house. She was in a uh, 2009 star Trek. We've got, Oh, let's see what else she's in. She's had a very long career. You know, her character didn't have like a ton to do, but she gave a lot of charisma to what is usually the generic wife character. Yeah. I really loved how she had like a very, uh, strong personality and um, I like it felt like she was a really good mother like the way she was written was like oh she's not just like a yeah a generic wife to a husband type character no she's like strong gives like really good emotional dialogue to Brendan like I really kind of strange but like watching them talk about like their kids and their relationship and like oh you promised me you wouldn't do this but like it makes sense like her her points feel valid it wasn't like fucking don't hold me back babe and like, she she did, she gave like a really solid performance all around in my opinion i completely agree and she like supports him in the end yeah she's not the naggy wife no 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 like and i i love like um like her range is really strong in this film i feel like because like she's like plays a very um yeah, strong-willed, very mature mother, really hot, and um, yes, yes. Which, by the way, I think her being strong is the hot thing. Like that's <laughs> that's hot. Yeah. But anyway, um, enough of my own sexual pleasures on the podcast. But her like charisma and her being ecstatic, jumping around, you know, her house and like that he won and stuff. Like even though you can see she's worried and like she's not watching the fight, she's like listening for a phone call or a text. Like I don't know, it's like really um like I don't know, it, just, it was smart the way they wrote her. Uncharacteristically smart for mm-hmm. not just the genre, but like movies in general. Like normally this would be a character we wouldn't even bring up. Mhm. Like we just straight up would not talk about. I know. She makes a mark. I love the principal as well. That's another one of those characters that I'm like, I feel like you could forget about, but I actually really like him. That one was like super unexpected. Like, I know. They give him like all of the best comedic lines. Yeah. Superintendent hasn't been in a school since 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude, that's, I mean, like, and that's a believable line right there. Like, man, you're probably right. Like superintendent doesn't show up. He looks at the fucking books all day where, uh-huh. oh, like, let's see who's graduating and let's see what kind of uh, numbers these, this school's pulling. I literally laughed out loud in the third act when it cuts to all the high schoolers hanging out at the, like the, uh, they're, they're all watching the fight together. Yeah. At the, and, uh, drive-in. And then it shows like the principal walk by. I'm like, of course. Yeah. Like, and I love when he, um, is watching the fight in his living room and he's like, he got him. He got him. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck yeah, man. Like, I don't know. It, it's that heartfelt shit, but like they had set it up to be really, really rewarding mm-hmm. because these are kind of the characters for on Brendan's side of the fence where they're kind of like they love him and they're rooting for him but it's also like there are things holding him back and they're kind of using that as a way to like try to protect him mm-hmm. you know what I mean like you can't fight like you're you're suspended without pay and but his wife it's like you can't fight because I don't want to see you die so it's like I don't know but the, to see their characters kind of have like that support they they have their own arcs you know what I mean 
I think that whole thing is a lot stronger than what Tommy has going mm-hmm. on on the other side. I don't know how you feel about this, uh, like, Marine gone a wall. He ripped a deal. door off a tank. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and this was jarring to me when it cuts to the military. The military shit. shit. You know, that was, it is a weird cut in the middle of the film. I, I thought it was a flashback at first. Dude, yeah, I did too. You know, like, even watching the film this time <laughs> around, I'm like, oh, wait, no, this is, like, happening right now. I, mm-hmm. I completely forgot. I, I thought like, it was a flashback too. I was like, oh, we're going to see what happened to Tommy mm-hmm. in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Like, even though it wasn't that, it was still just so out of left field. You know, like, um, there was just like a lot of moving parts in that as well. Like the, like the court marshals were there to like get him because he was a deserter and they were going to do it after the fight. And then like, that's something that like, really bothers me <laughs> because it's like, they storm out of the cage. I'm like, wouldn't they like fucking like, get on the ground, get on the ground. <laughs> yeah, they, would, they would say fuck the tournament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so here's a warrant for your arrest. Yeah. Um, subtle things like that where I was like trying to think through it while watching and I'm like, oh, you know what? Like the logistics of it they probably we can't cancel this tournament like it would ruin it like can we work out a deal to where we can do it Mm -hmm. after the fact and i'm thinking about you know like sports media and like the politics that get involved in that like trying to think like and dance around in my own head of like things that aren't shown on screen like okay how would this work in real life and i feel like if you give it time to think about it it would work but it just like the film sets itself up to suspend your disbelief quite a bit so it can Mm kind of come off in those moments of like no that wouldn't work but i think it only does that because there's just a lot of moving parts going on and it's kind of hard to like grab it does the news of him being an awol marine does that release on the first night or the second night i think it releases on the second night after like he starts to build up like the marine the marine yeah like that kind of becomes like his uh identity in the tournament Okay, that's better. Yeah. Because, like, if they would have discovered it on the first night, yes, it would have been all over. Yeah. Because he'd be a, a flight risk. Yeah. Right? And then, like, um, I found it interesting with, like, you know, we get those really, like, late exposition through, like, our announcers and, like, very, in, like, this third act of, like, the tournament stuff, very rarely is it our characters being, um, being the movers of like the story. It's like yeah. the people around our characters are moving our story for us. And now we're just watching them fight it out. And then we're getting like, it's really, really weird structurally. Like again, going back to the screenplay where I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's an interesting uh, play on the screenplay where you have quite literally late exposition, you know, in the third act. It was a little uh, unneeded in my, you think so to me? Yeah. Uh, I get why it's there because like they kind of need reasons for both fighters to have support in yeah. the end, but it does feel like very forced in mm. like, just at the last minute. Yeah. I, it's kind of weird with the, the military route. I don't know if you feel the same way, but again, like the late exposition, it's, they're really like throwing a lot in here for Tommy's side. And maybe it is just the way the story's set up where the first act is really more catered towards Brendan's character. And you kind of have to like... It is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you really think about it, it, is, it really is more oriented towards Brendan's character. And you get to like understand his motive. And then like you're throwing Tommy's motive really late in the game. But it's also like Tommy's character has been really shut off. And now you're learning about him through the character's around him mm. and the situation surrounding him. You said that the characters like no longer are the are the movers mm-hmm. of information. You were talking about like how all this stuff gets brought in so late. Do we see the reactions of any of the characters relating to the news breaking that Tommy was an AWOL Marine 
Is there like does it show Brendan like seeing that on a TV or anything? Or? No, not really. And what's really interesting, the route they take with the film is like Brendan like doesn't announce to anybody that like that's his brother. Like it, they're like they keep it a secret between yeah. them all. You know, so but I think it like really like lends itself back to like the the trauma. You know what I mean? There's shockingly little interaction between mm-hmm. our two leads. Mm-hmm. Although the one scene that we do get with them together is like one of the best parts of the movie. You like that? Or they meet on the beach? Oh, on the beach, dude. That seems. You like that? That seems awesome. Good. I'm glad you do. That's actually like one of my least favorite scenes. Ooh. Okay. And I I just think it's like mostly dialogue i don't think like their delivery is amazing but um i do think the dialogue itself is good i just don't think their delivery is quite as good as it should be um because i think you have like i I mean honest to god i think joel edgerton and tom hardy are like have like some really weak dialogue and certain things because i think that this scene specifically really asks a lot of them Mm -hmm. as actors and i i don't think they quite hit it the way that i really want i think there should be a little bit more of an intense I agree. Uh, angle to it. I, I think there should have been a little bit more anger on both sides of the fence, but hmm. it's still strong. Maybe my love for the scene is a little bit blinded just by the fact that it's an hour and 20 minutes in. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, these two are finally coming head to head. I think this goes back to the whole, not a whole lot of detail in mm-hmm. like the relations between characters. Yeah, and you, you get that in this scene, though. This is the scene where, okay, well, we get to find out a little bit more about their history. Like, okay... We know that Tommy is upset because he feels abandoned when Brendan went off at some point. Like, they, they were separated for some reason. So, Brendan, the, from my understanding, Tommy and the mother were leaving, and Brendan was going to leave too. But Brendan was 16, and he was in love with Tess, and he was like, I can't leave Yeah, okay. And, and yeah. then, like, ended up being, like, his wife, and, like, Tommy felt betrayed by that. And so, and then he asked him, like, you're not my brother. From what I can understand, you're not my brother. Were you in the core? Because my brothers were in the core. It's just, I mean, it's a good scene. I can't tell if the reason for the beef between the two brothers is strong or not. No, it definitely is. You think it is? Yeah, 100%. But again, I think this scene specifically should should have been the one where they ramp up the emotion. Yeah. And I think they were a little cold-shouldered for... The what like the information we do get, I think mm-hmm. like Joel Edgerton specifically is like, how was I supposed to know my own mother was sick? It's like just really dry. Yeah, I want, he might be right. I want him to. I've seen this movie a lot, dude. I've seen this movie a shit ton. Like mm-hmm. I've seen this scene a lot. So <laughs> I think when you have this, like very shortly, it's it's almost like you know, twenty minutes later, you have Tom Hardy and Nick Nolte delivering like the most powerful scene in the film in my opinion i think like they're like i think you could have really sold this a lot better than what was on screen and i don't know how it didn't happen that way i don't know if there was they needed more direction but i think this scene specifically would have done tenfold for our ending our climax of 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 their reunion yeah in my opinion i think like like the beef between the two of them during when they actually fight doesn't feel as intense as it should be and i I think you're right about this beach scene like maybe that is the reason because i think the reasons are valid it's valid but it felt a little cold to me yeah i think there should have been a lot more intense heated emotional argument than what we got like i kind of would want 
me specifically in this scene, I would want them, I love their dialogue, but I would want them to ramp up to the point of like almost fighting on the beach and then saving it for the ring type of thing. You know what I mean? That would have been so much better. That actually. Would, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just feel like there's a, a part of me that again, tying back to your point of like, it would have made the ending feel a really, really great home run. I do mm-hmm. think the ending is really great. And I think yeah. it, it really wraps up our story nicely. But I think this scene specifically, when you finally have the two meeting face to face and talking for God knows probably 10 to 15 years, you know, how wrong it's been. Mm -hmm. It's like there should have just been more emotional involvement on both sides of the fence. This should have been the scene like Mm -hmm. of the movie, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, you're right. (laughs) Motherfucker, I know I'm right. (laughs) I'm starting to see this now. It's like the weakest out of a lot of the drama mm-hmm. scenes that we do get, like yep. the major mm-hmm. uh, character arc moments. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't I, mean to ruin that for you, but no, because you're you're totally right. I've had a lot of time to to sit on this. I mean, these two beat the fuck out of each other, yeah. like during their fight. <laughs> I love it. And if they would have fought on the beach, like that would have felt like such a heated, mm-hmm. uh, like match between the two. Like I would want. I wanted more of the, even if they don't like physically fight, but um, like to be in each other's face, like heated face, red face, strong emotion. It would have felt, I really, I honestly would have felt it would have really gave momentum to move into the second night. You know what I mean? So I agree. So that's, that's just my two cents on it though. I think it just needed to be a little tighter. I think if it was, I think this movie would be fucking perfect, but yeah, not a bad scene. No. Good scene. Yeah. But yeah, it left a little bit to be desired. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about the father arc kind of going unresolved in the end? Do you even consider it being unresolved? Ooh, okay. Ooh, look at you. Um, This was like something I've been wrestling with. Okay. Me personally, I think, um, okay, so I think this story is less about the father reconciling with his sons and more about the sons reconciling with each other. And I think that, I think that we don't really get the, the the film kind of leaves itself to assumption in the end. God, this is a great fucking question to ask for the end. God, you're a baller. The, um, thank you because the sons need to come together before they can come to the father. I think I really do. That makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think, um, there's this, I mean, how would you feel if, like, okay, Brendan or Tommy forgave the father and one didn't? It would be, like, two against one. That would be too weird. You know what I mean? The sons have to come together to come to the father. Mm. Maybe it's just the thing that Nick Nolte had more chemistry with the both of them than they did with each other. Yeah, exactly. Like, the dad arc kind of feels like it's demanding to be resolved Mm -hmm. by the end of it. I think it is, though. For that reason. And I think you're right about that. But, like, don't you feel like his performance in the end, like, when you get to, you got, like, first and foremost, I think, like, their final fight with, like, the about today in the final round and, like, like cascades into, like, this droning on the on the way out of the arena is, like, beautiful for, like, a bunch of fucking white dudes like you and I. It, it, it's great. Yes. Yeah. You know, the the dad is choked up and he, he's, like, taking his hat off or, like, putting his hat back on and, like... God, I, I love, God, his performance is so good. <laughs> his performance is so good, man. Like he, he really, his, his character is so, 
it's so full and, and dense and, 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 and rich. His ability, like literally just putting like a, a hat back on and, and like, it's like a sign of like this completion, you know, mm-hmm. like he's tossing this hat and like his, his, his walk walks away. It's like really, it's really fucking beautiful. It um, is. Yeah. And I think like that kind of signifies like this completion where I think he would rather his sons come together than than come to him. It, oh. it feels like it feels like a little bit more of like um, it, I don't know. It feels like he'd rather them heal than himself because he's already he's already arrived there mm-hmm. and his sons haven't. And I think that's why they can't come to him on the same level. They're mad because he's healed and they haven't. And they push him out yeah. for that reason. And when they heal together, it's like, like the, no more worries. The stuff with the dad is, it'll, it'll come follow. along down the road somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. I think it's just that Nick Nolte's presence quality wise is so strong on the movie that there's like a little bit of a, a hole when he takes the back seat. Because once the, the fighting tournament starts, then you have the scene with him in the casino and relapsing. Like that's like his last dialogue scene, right? Because it goes full force into yeah, like Brendan versus Koba mm-hmm. and all that shit. And I um, yeah, you're right. And I think the oh my god, like I love like we didn't even talk about it. Like I love like he he cheers him on, like he's cheering on Brendan on the sideline and stuff. And I don't know if you caught this. It's real subtle, and I won't spend too much time on it. But Brendan, after like during like one of the quick fights when he wins, he's like, "I'm gonna do this," and he's like, "Okay, son, like go get him." <laughs> And like, it's like, I remember that, you know what I mean? Like it felt very childlike for a kid to say that to his dad, Mm. but he's a grown man. But it's also when you reflect back on the fact that like, even Brendan mentions like, oh, I think this is during the, when he shows up at the doorstep, when he sees the granddaughters and stuff during that dialogue where he's like, you know, oh, you're just here to gloat because Tommy's back. Brendan takes a very childlike approach to his Oh, I'm going to bring back the fact that like, oh, your golden child's back and you're just, he's like, no, Brendan, I'm not here to do that. But from Brendan, that's the way he views his father. And then like this small dialogue to say that, like, I don't know. I think that's like really powerful because it like puts him back in the the perspective of a child to his Mm. father, which I think is really unique. So you think the childlike nature was like literally played up for a split second? Yeah. That's interesting. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's, um, but it's not bad. I I could see that. Like I, I vaguely remember that Mm -hmm. moment. It's like literally like a two second cut. Right? Exactly. It's huh. it's real subtle. This movie does have like a lot of like big ideas and like big drama and like big fight, but like there are like really subtle things like that that I think like age really well with the film. Um, and I think that like kind of keep me coming back. Like that's a small thing, and I like actually picked up on it for the first time when I watch it this time around. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, hmm. it's special. I don't know how to wrap this. Like, um, it's um, I find it interesting as well that the. Um, I love how beautifully tied it is to the soundtrack and the way it moves through. When they're in their final fight, he makes Tommy tap and he, he tells him he loves him. I'm like, ugh. Like, that was a beautiful moment. Finally, these fucking men can tell each other they, <laughs> love, they love each other. <laughs> yeah, it is beautiful. Dude, having like about today just going underneath this this huge like melodramatic scene, it's super powerful. The, uh, I found it interesting that, yes, it's weird that national songs are used in mm-hmm. this movie. I saw some lines in the songs themselves that might might apply to the characters. Yeah. Um, the movie opens with the song uh, Start a War. Mm-hmm. One of the first lines 
is something about do you think we can just lock it up behind the painting and leave or something like that like yeah. the line itself is a reference to like cliche old mystery shows where like you move the painting and there's like a lock or like a, a safe behind a safe it behind it yeah but like i think when it applies to the characters it's about like them locking away like trauma mm-hmm. or like nobody wants to talk about the big thing mm-hmm. like the elephant in the room i don't know i, th- I thought that shit was it's smart mm-hmm. because like during that scene, Nolte's like coming out of church and being like, "Hey, Tammy, whatever the f- Pam, whatever the fuck." She's <laughs> he's talking real subtle, like real quiet because it's real muffled dialogue. But like, think like, "Oh, that was really powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing." And like, he's a a person that like probably doesn't like talk too much probably about his stuff. He probably wants to just move on and mm-hmm. you know, like he's going to church and you know, it's just. It, it was kind of smart use. I, I kind of wish there was more national in the film. I feel like I thought there was going to be. I thought there was. You know, like um, it's like literally. It feels like just the beginning and the end. Kind of like their presence is uh, in the soundtrack, but you know, it's not a whole lot. So it's not a bad thing either. I think you like. I don't really know that. Like, I would want to put the national like anywhere else in the film. <laughs> like, it kind of felt like uh, each scene kind of st- stood on its own on its own legs without it. You don't want to like overuse the the copy written uh-huh. music. I thought like the score yeah. that was behind everything else was pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah. Like during the big emotional moments, it really like sold the scenes. We um didn't really talk about it too much either, but like the cinematography, it's, it's really like kind of gritty and I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is, it, it is on film, um, which I, I really like. I love seeing film grain all the time. I love when films are when films are shot on film and rather than digital. Um, oh yeah, it doesn't happen very often. So, um, but I mean, the cinematography isn't like outstanding, but it's um, it works for the film. And we have like a lot of like really really cold color palettes. It's it's very dry, uh, dramatic. It reminds me of Moneyball in that way, which is like some of my favorite. Give me drama with a nice, cool color palette on yeah. on film. Like, please, you want me. I thought, like, the cinematography of Moneyball was, like, a lot more deliberate. Yeah, this one for there. sure. But, like, the, the color palette is definitely the same. Same year, I think, right? Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Yeah, 2011. But, like, yeah, it was... It was very similar to the wrestler as well, like uh-huh. handheld, dirty like zooms, that kind of shit. It was yep. just pretty basic, mm-hmm. like hardly even any uh, like establishing shots. Like you kind of just cut straight yeah. to rooms with people talking. Mm-hmm. Not that that's a bad thing. Um, I don't really have a whole lot else to say. I, I think I'm. I think I've it's been a good therapy session. I think. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that former WWE wrestler Kurt yeah, Angle plays Koba. We didn't talk about that. Oh my God, he's on the fucking juice. God, he's juiced up, dude. This was a uh, during an era. <clears throat> he's got he's got HGH gut in this film. Does he? Yes, it's fucking bubbled. I think around this time he was like constantly high on painkillers. Yeah, like he was I fired from WWE for that a few years before this. <sighs> That's awesome. Because I think the very first shot of Koba in the movie is like on a TV screen, mm-hmm. and he has this like thousand yard stare in it. Like, wide eyed like, like he's high as fuck it's awesome like they used to call him perk angle around this time <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not kidding that's awesome <laughs> that's great but yeah so former all-american like real life olympian yeah, hero man. won a gold medal with a broken neck yeah and he plays the russian he in plays this movie. the perked up russian <laughs> the perked up russian that's awesome i wouldn't want to fight a perked up russian I'll absolutely not dude <laughs> I wouldn't want to fight a Russian in general, but yeah, that's awesome. I don't think I got any more outside of that, really. 
I know what I have, like, as far as ratings. I'd be, like, really curious to know what you think. Hmm. I'd probably go, like, just, like, a flat eight. Liked Good. it. I think uh, it transcends the tropes. And yeah, there you go. There you go. Strong emotional core. Like, it's it's sold on emotion and acting. Yeah. And, like, uh, some great dialogue writing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think eight is fair. I'm glad you put it that way. The emotions transcend the trope. That's, uh... By the way, I think I've done like my holy trinity of fucking uh, underrated uh, beloved films. And that has like been a very common theme. And it's the same way with like Last Samurai and, and Tron Legacy where it's like I really do believe that the emotion transcends the small uh, flaws. And I think that they end up making what otherwise could be categorized as like just like not great or mediocre films into like something like really special and like that's why i love it i also like am like gonna meet you there with like a flat eight i i would i would even go up like at 8.5 um on like a good day but i think uh i don't know it it's a weird film it's really really weird on paper it's like Yes, the the double once in a lifetime with deep, dark, abusive, alcoholic father imposing trauma on the two double comeback story. Like it, <laughs> it's ambitious. With, yeah, it's it is. And I think that for as ambitious as it is, it really tackles what otherwise mm. could be a, a fucking mess really well. This was kind of like the mirror to Tron Legacy, like considering it's like the same mm-hmm. screenwriters. If you combined the positive qualities of both of these movies, then you have like a classic. A masterpiece, yeah. Tron kind of lacked the emotion mm-hmm. in a lot of aspects, but like concept and imagery and mm-hmm. cinematography was great. And then this one had the dialogue, the emotion. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, these screenwriters need to give it another go. Yeah, one more, one more time. Yeah, man, that was all actually like everything I could have uh, could have hoped for out of talking. I'm so glad we did. I've I've been waiting for this one for a long time, and that was a a great conversation. Um, yeah, I um I leave you the floor, man. I'm I'm excited to see where you're taking us. Oh shit, that's Fucking right. Chocolate starfish. Let's go. Limp biscuit. Damn it. As you may be aware, in almost exactly a month, I turned 30 years old. Oh my god, you do! I turned fucking 30 years old. You fuck, you old fucker. <laughs> I'm gonna start asking for my, my senior discount everywhere I go. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so happy. That's awesome. Life, lifesaver. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. I've been waiting this day for a long fucking time, dude. I'm just kidding. It's not all doom and gloom. That's for amazing. Me turning 30. The reason I bring that up is because something else that is beloved by me turns 30. Or actually just turned 30 like yesterday, I think. Okay. The film that we're going to do next, it is a well-known, critically well-received blockbuster that spawned a franchise. It has five sequels, but the very first one of the series, it's a, a Steven Spielberg movie called uh, Jurassic Park. Yes. I've kind of been sitting in like a lot of dark stuff. That's like kind of typically what... I yeah, recommend on the show. You're a white and, millennial, and yeah. I, I take us in <laughs> twisted directions sometimes. Yeah. And I want to step away from that for a while and just do what is literally, I think, the first movie that I ever loved. Oh my God, that's amazing that you. I never really loved it. Like, I. Yeah. I, I know it was like beloved and like it's good, but like that's funny that you <laughs> love it. I mean, like, I think everybody has a Spielberg film that they love. 
Yeah. Mine was Jaws as a kid, and now I'm, like, afraid to watch it. <laughs> Jaws is amazing. Yeah, funny how that works. I could watch it nonstop as a kid, but now I'm like, never, <laughs> never. But, yeah, uh, Jurassic Park is, like, that big nostalgia movie for yeah, me, like, as a child. That's awesome. We'll have some fun. I don't think I've, like, seen Jurassic Park front to back outside of, like, it being broken up by commercial break in a long fucking time. Really? Like, on cable. So, Dude, me and Liv watch Jurassic Park every year or two. That's probably. awesome. Okay, yeah, and, I'm excited. One of my all-time favorite movies. Oh, so. dude, I'm hyped. Oh, yeah, fuck who, yeah, dude. Who we doesn't need, like dinosaurs? We God need, damn it. We need something fun. Yeah. For sure. We haven't hit a, a big franchise since, like, Men in Black, I don't think. So. No. No, we really haven't. All right, man. Well, um, that's exciting. I'm kind of hyped. That's an that's an easy one, but it'll be a lot of fun. Fuck yeah. Also, I want to drink margaritas for that episode. Not a problem. We can make I, that happen. I think that would be like a fun idea. Margarita on ice, right? Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right, man. Well, uh, and uh, until next time, I'm done. That was a lot of fun. If you could do me um the the great honor of uh, signing us off. Adios. Mm-hmm.